Okay, I hope you have a Bible with you. Let's open it up over to Romans chapter 11. This is part six of our series, God's Plan for the Jewish People. Part six, Romans chapter 11. What does the future hold for our planet? Are we all going to die off because of coronavirus? Well, the answer to that is no. I am excited to declare to you that God has already given us in the Bible the big picture and that he is bringing that about faithfully. God is the one in control. He is the the sovereign God of the universe and he will have his way and he will have things as he wants them to be. And so uh, we can find great comfort in that as believers. Now, people sometimes ask the question, oh, you believe the Bible, you're one of those Bible-believing Christians. Why in the world do you believe the Bible? Well, friend, can I tell you one of the biggest reasons we believe the Bible is because of something called prophecy, all right? Prophecy is God writing history in advance, God telling us what is going to take place. He has a 100% perfect track record on the accuracies of that. No book in the world, no faith in the world can claim that except true Christianity. Why? Because the God of the Bible is the one true God, and he is the one who's bringing it about. And so for him to say, this is what's going to happen, yeah, that's going to happen because he's going to make it happen. All right? He's the one who brings all things about And so we see that in the Word of God. The late Dr. Mark G. Cameron, uh, one of my teachers at Florida Bible College, he had a statement, and I, I have found it to be very profound. He said this, he said, prophecy is the mold of history, okay? Prophecy is the mold of history. Now, Romans chapter 11 is, in fact, a prophetic chapter in the New Testament. When people, most people think about prophecy, they don't think about Romans, okay? They think of Romans as more just theology as far as salvation and so forth and the outworking of that. Romans 11 is prophetic. We have the distinct privilege to be living in the time when Romans chapter 11 is actually being fulfilled, And this is exciting, and we can see it around us. God is and has been working out his plan on the earth, and we are focusing particularly on the last 2,000 years of history, and we are seeing it. Now, there are three elements to it as we continue towards the end of Romans chapter 11. We won't completely finish it today, but um, we see three elements. The first is this, the plan for the Jewish people. There is a plan for the Jewish people. And as we've been going through these last uh, uh, five and today six weeks talking about the Jewish people, we have seen the Jewish people, their history in Romans 9. We saw their present condition for the last 2,000 years in Romans chapter 10. And now today and last week, we have been talking about the future of the nation of Israel. Yes, they have as a people group, okay, a future. God is not through with the Jewish people. While they, yes, they had rejected Jesus Christ as Messiah, he still has a plan for them and he is working out that plan. So there's the plan of the Jewish people. In Romans 11, verse 1, it says this, I say then, hath God cast away his people? His people in the context referring to the Jews, all right? 
God forbid, for I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. This is Paul, the apostle, writing. Now remember who he's writing to. He's writing to the church at Rome, not the Roman Catholic church now. We're talking about those who have trusted Jesus Christ and only Jesus Christ as their way to heaven. Their faith is not in the religion. Their faith is in the person of Jesus Christ and his work for them on Calvary. This is who he's writing to. But the Roman church was made up of Jew and Gentile. Jew and Gentile. So Romans 11 is prophetic. And we see, yes, God has a plan. Jump down to verse 11. Uh, Paul says again, I say then, and remember, he was a Jew. He says, I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? In other words, fall permanently, the Jewish people. In other words, is God through with them? Again, God forbid, but rather through their fall is come unto the Gentiles for to provoke them to jealousy. All right? God's plan, yes, the Jewish people have kind of been put on the back burner, so to speak, of the stove, and God is dealing with Gentiles now, but the fact that God is giving uh, those who trust Jesus Christ the Savior, giving them so much attention, and there's a vibrancy, and there's a, there's a real spiritual life there in these people who claim to be believers, who have this relationship with the God of the Bible. What is that doing? That is provoking the Jewish people to jealousy, according to Scripture. Now, you could be Jewish and watching this, and you might say, well, I don't feel that way. Well, friend, that's possible. You may not feel that way, but nevertheless, it is happening in the world because God says it is, and it's part of his plan. Which brings us to the second part of the plan, the plan for the Gentiles. Now, if you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile. This has been happening during the church age. Now, the church age is a period of time from the day of Pentecost to what we call the rapture of the church when, when God is going to take all the believers, all those who have trusted Christ alone as Savior, he's going to take them out of the world, he's going to catch them away to heaven, and the Bible says we will forever be with the Lord. At that point, the church age ends And then the seven-year tribulation period called the time of Jacob's or Israel's trouble will begin. That will go on for seven years until Jesus comes back at the end of the tribulation. And we'll talk more about that in just a few minutes to establish his kingdom. So there's the plan of the Gentiles, Romans 11, 12. Now, if the fall of them, the Jewish people, be the riches of the world, in other words, those who now put their faith in Christ as their Messiah, as their Savior. And they, with that, they get all the blessings and the riches that come from that. Now, if the fall of them be the riches of the world and the diminishing of them, the riches of the Gentiles, how much more their fullness? Now, what does that mean, their fullness? In other words, when God starts dealing with them again and they come to faith in Jesus Christ as Savior. So, God offered everything, the kingdom to them. They rejected Christ. They didn't get the kingdom. They've been scattered for 2,000 years, as we saw last week, and we'll see it again in just a moment. God is bringing them back. The Jewish people are back. But in the meantime, God has been dealing primarily, not exclusively, but primarily with the Gentiles. And so we have been blessed by the riches that God has for his children But there's a time coming when the Jewish people are going to come back and put their faith in Jesus as Messiah, and then they too will enjoy all those riches that God has for his children. 
this fullness. Now, when will this take place? That will take place in what's called the kingdom age, which is the thousand-year millennium or the kingdom of Jesus Christ when he will be ruling and reigning on the planet once again. You might say, when's that going to take place? Well, I can tell you at least 1,007 years from now, okay, or, or at least seven years from now, and then that age will be fulfilled 1,007 years from now. Okay, Ephesians 1.10 says this, that in the dispensation of the fullness of time, he might gather in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. The dispensation of the fullness of time, that's having to do with this kingdom age that is yet future, this thousand year reign of Christ. Romans 11 verse 13, it says, for I speak to you Gentiles, Inasmuch as I am an apostle of the Gentiles, I magnify mine office. If by any means I may provoke to emulation, to jealousy, them which are my flesh, remember, Paul's a Jew talking about the Jewish people, and might save some of them, I might deliver them through the preaching of the word. Verse 15. For if the casting away of them be the reconciling of the world, what shall the receiving of them be but life from the dead? Now let's look at a couple of those phrases here. The reconciling of the world, okay? If the Jews had not rejected Jesus Christ, the gospel message would not have been opened up like it has to the Gentile world. But because the Jews rejected Christ, God had this other plan called the church made up of Jew and Gentile, primarily of Gentile, because they have accepted Christ as their savior. And so we see this wonderful, wonderful truth. God is reconciling the world. And then you notice that he says, what shall this be but life from the dead? This refers to the resurrection of Israel as a nation. And we have seen that in our lifetime, all right, in this past century. We've seen this in this past, well, actually, May 14th, 1948. Ezekiel, the prophet Ezekiel in the Old Testament, he prophesied some 2,500 years ago. Now, catch that, friend. Listen carefully. 2,500 years ago, the Jewish prophet Ezekiel told us of the days that we are living in now. This is remarkable, and there can be no mistake about what it's talking about. Ezekiel 36 and 37 talk about the prophecy of the dry bones. Now, years and years ago, when I was a little boy, there was a song, hip bone connected to the thigh bone, you know, all the different things. Some of you remember that. The rest of you think I'm crazy. It's okay. But uh, nevertheless, the last part of the chorus on that is this. Hear the word of the Lord. Where do we get that? Right out of Ezekiel. Now they made a catchy tune, but in fact, it was prophetic scripture. Okay? I want you to see this. Turn with me over to Ezekiel chapter 37. Ezekiel chapter 37. Remember, this is written 2,500 years ago. So there is no way of anybody manipulating scripture or making it say something it doesn't. No, God declared it. He's bringing about his plan. Ezekiel 37, verse 11, it says this. Then he said unto me, son of man, the Lord said unto Ezekiel, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. 
Behold, they say, our bones are dried and our hope is lost. We are cut off for our parts. Therefore prophesy and say unto them, thus saith the Lord God, behold, O my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come up out of your graves and bring you into the land of Israel. In other words, he would resurrect the nation. He would resurrect the nation. And ye shall know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves, O my people, and brought you up out of your graves, and shall put my spirit in you, and ye shall live, and I shall place you in your own land. No people group in the history of the world has been dispersed for 2,000 years approximately and survived and not only survived, but God has brought them back and revived them as a nation. This is amazing, okay? Bring you into the land of Israel. Then shall ye know that I, the Lord, have spoken it and performed it, saith the Lord. He says, when this takes place, you know it was me who did it. Why? Well, he's the only one who can. He's the only one who can. You can believe the word of God. Now let's go back to Romans chapter 11. And I want you to follow very carefully because the language gets a little complicated as we go through here. Don't tune out on that. Instead say, listen, I need to pay attention to this. This is important. It's in the word of God. Verse 16. For if the first fruit be holy, the lump also is holy. And if the root be holy, so are the branches. Now, what is the first fruit here? The Jewish people at the beginning, okay? These are the ones God was dealing with. And it says, if the first fruit be holy. The word holy literally means set apart. And in the context means set apart for God. In other words, God had a plan for the Jewish people. I believe the lump is referring to those who will believe. The root is referring to Abraham because it was through Abraham that God promised the seed that would come, which was the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, verse 16 could be read this way. For if the first fruit is set apart, the lump is also set apart. And if the root be set apart, and then so are the branches, verse 17. And if some of the branches be broken off and thou being a wild olive tree were graft in among them and with them partakest of the root and the fatness of the olive tree, boast not against the branches, but if thou boast, thou bearest not the root, but the root thee. Now, now you might say, what in the world is that talking about? Let me try to explain this. The olive tree in scripture, the olive tree, in scripture represents the blessings that come through Abraham, both to the Jew and to the Gentile. It is the place of blessing through the gospel of grace. The message that I shared before this message, uh, before announcements today, this message of salvation through faith alone in Jesus Christ alone, with that, it brings so many blessings. You become partaker of the blessings of God. You are included in the blessings of God. The blessings, yes, that God intended for Israel, but also the blessings that God gives to those of us who have trusted Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. It is the place of blessing. Verses 19 and 20 bear this out. 
Look at verse 19. It says, thou will say then, well, the branches were broken off that I might be grafted in, the branches being the Jewish people. Well, because of unbelief, they were broken off. Okay, Why were the Jewish people, in a sense, broken off? It was because they had not trusted Jesus Christ as their Messiah. And thou standest, how? By faith. How do you become a believer? By faith. How do you become a child of God? By faith. By faith alone in Christ alone. Be not high-minded, but fear. For if God spared not the natural branches should be the Jewish people, take heed lest he also spare not thee. Now, let's step back for a minute. If you've been with me during this series, Romans, especially chapter 9, 10, and 11, we have been talking about the Jewish people. Remember the context. It is speaking of the Jewish people in general and also the uh, Gentiles in general in God's overall plan for the ages. The same thing that happened to Israel as a people because they rejected Christ as Savior can and will happen to the Gentiles as a people, all right? Whereas the Jewish people were turning their back on God, what do we see in the days in which we live? We see the same thing. Okay, an illustration of this. Now, this is not a perfect illustration, but you'll understand what I'm talking about. Our nation, okay, our nation was founded on the word of God. There's no question about it. Anybody who denies that is being, uh, I'll use the polite term, disingenuous, okay? You know what that means? It means you're not being honest. That's what it means. Friends, scripture is all over Washington, D.C., in our founding documents. They, they talk about God all the time. And it's not some God out there, whatever you want it to be. It is the God of the Bible, okay? We have been a God-fearing nation. Does that mean everybody had trusted Jesus alone as Savior? No. But in the days in which we live, we are getting further and further and further as a, as a nation away from God, doing our own thing, uh, atheism, uh, uh, coming to the forefront, immoral living and all these things that are contrary to the ways of God. We have forsaken our roots as a nation. And what is that? That is the fruit of unbelief. And God says, okay, happen to the Jews. It can happen to the Gentiles as well, generally speaking. Now, here's the point though. God will make an exception. His judgment makes exceptions for those individuals who trust Jesus Christ the Savior. You see, God may judge a people, but he always extends grace and mercy, as we will see, to the individual. Romans eleven twenty two. Behold, therefore, the goodness and the severity of God on them which fell, severity, but toward thee, goodness, if thou continue in his goodness, otherwise thou shalt be cut off. Now again, This, in the context, is referring to God's dealing with the Jews and Gentiles as groups of people in his plan for the ages. This passage is not teaching that you can lose your personal salvation. Nothing could be further from the truth. If you have true salvation, you cannot lose it. Friend, if you say, well, I'm a Christian, but I can lose my salvation, you're either confused or you're not a Christian. Because if you've trusted Jesus Christ alone as your Savior, you cannot lose that eternal life that God gave you. Remember, what kind of life is it? Eternal. It's not life until you 
fail or that you get discouraged or you become bitter towards God. No, it's eternal life. God is the giver of eternal life and the Bible makes it clear he never takes it back because it's a gift. See, if God would take your salvation away once you've trusted Christ the Savior, then it was never a gift to begin with. Gifts are free. If I give you a gift and then uh, you insult me and I take it back, well, then it wasn't a gift. It was, here, you can have this as long as you behave yourself and you're nice to me. No, that's not eternal life. That's not God's salvation. Salvation is forever. Let me show you a couple scriptures on this. Look with me over to John chapter 6. And we're going to look at verse 37. Jesus said this, He says, all that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise and no way cast out. Now, friend, if you have understood you are a sinner who cannot save yourself, and you've come to Jesus Christ for salvation, you've put your faith in him to save you and to give you eternal life, he says he will never cast you out. He's God. He cannot lie. And if he cannot lie, he's going to be true to what he said, and he's going to be true to that. You can be sure of going to heaven if you trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior. Back it up a little. We're in John 6. Go to John chapter 5 with me. John chapter 5, and in verse 24, Jesus again is speaking, and he says this, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me, literally believeth him that sent me, hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed or has passed from death unto life. It's not even a matter of you continuing to believe. It's not that you would would stop for some reason, but the point is this. Our eternal life is in God's hands, not ours. And when you trust Christ the Savior, he gives you everlasting life that moment. And he says, you will never come into condemnation. You have passed from death unto life. You've walked through a door to where it only goes one way. Once you get into eternal life, there's no coming back to where you don't have eternal life. Why? Because it's eternal life. And so once you have it, you have it. So going back to Romans chapter 11, it's not talking about you need to stay faithful and you need to stay close to the Lord because, oh, if you don't, God's going to take away your salvation. No, remember, he is talking in Romans 11 about people groups. He's talking about the Jews, how God dealt with them, and he's talking about the Gentiles, how he has dealt with them. All right? But salvation, it always goes out to the individual. The same thing happened to the Jews in a general sense, or excuse me, the same thing that happened to the Jews in a general sense can and will happen to the Gentiles in a general sense. Become more and more ungodly, all right? And I don't know about you, I'm glad I'm going up at the rapture. (laughs) I'll tell you what. Friend, the, the coming tribulation period Okay, and there are plagues in the tribulation period. And listen, this coronavirus, it's awful. Yes, there are problems and so forth, and there's sickness, and there's some people who are dying and and all of that. This is nothing compared to what is coming during that seven-year tribulation period. And when will that begin? Well, 
once the rapture takes place, soon after that seven-year tribulation period is going to begin, and God himself, make no mistake about it, God himself is going to be pouring out plagues and judgment upon planet Earth. You need to trust Jesus Christ as your personal Savior today. All right? Let's go back to Romans 11 and verse 23. It says this, And they also, if they abide not still in unbelief, shall be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. In other words, now if the Jews or Jewish people come back and they put their faith in Christ, if the Jews as a nation come back and they put their, their faith in Jesus as their Messiah, yes, they'd be grafted into the blessings of God once again. For if thou wert cut, off, cut out of the olive tree, which is wild by nature, and were grafted contrary to nature into a good olive tree, how much more shall these, the Jews, which be the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? In other words, okay, they rejected Jesus, and God in grace offered the Gentile world to be grafted into this olive tree in the place of blessing, the blessings of God? Certainly, if the Jews had a change of mind, they repented, God would put them back into the place of blessing. So we see that the Lord will deal again with the chosen people, the nation of Israel, which leads us to our third point, and it is this, the future plan for all. The future plan for all. And we pick that up in verse 25. For I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery. Now here you go. It's kind of like a summary. For I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest ye should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part is happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles come in. And so all Israel shall be saved, as it is written, there shall come out of Zion the deliverer, and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob or Israel." For this is my covenant unto them when I shall take away their sins. Now this is prophetic. This is what's going to take place in the future. Let me define a couple statements here. The first is this, the idea of the fullness of the Gentiles. I believe the fullness of the Gentiles is the full number of the Gentiles who will be saved during the age of grace in which we live. That's what I think it's referring to. And you notice then it says in verse 26, and all Israel, and so all Israel shall be saved. Now, done a lot of study on this, and I think most conservative Bible commentators agree with this. That's not the issue. What does God say? But nevertheless, I do believe this, where it says all Israel be, be saved. I don't believe this refers to every Jew during the tribulation, but those who trust Jesus Christ as their Messiah, including those who trust in him when he comes at the end of the tribulation period, which is what we would call the second coming of Christ. Now the word Christ means the Messiah, the second coming of the Messiah. Now why don't I believe every Jew is going to put their faith in Jesus Christ as Savior? Well, Because remember this, in God's economy, no one is saved because of their lineage. 
It isn't an issue of, well, because they're all Jewish, they're going to be saved one day. No, you're not saved because you're a Jew. You must personally believe in Christ as your Savior, as your Messiah. We've already seen that issue come up in chapter 9. If you're with me during that, hold your place here. Go with me back to Romans chapter 9. I want you to see something very, very important here. Romans 9 and verse 6, it says this, Not as though the word of God hath taken none effect, for they are not all Israel which are of Israel. Okay? In other words, yes, God has chosen the people of Israel, but they are not Israel as God intends them to be. Okay? Neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children. But in Isaac shall thy seed be called. That is, they which are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God. Just because you're born Jewish doesn't make you a child of God. But the children of the promise are counted for the seed. When Paul says that all Israel will be saved, he means all believing Israel will be saved. Because these are the ones who are truly part of the plan of God as he intended it to be. In other words, yes, God chose the nation of Israel. And his will for them was that they would accept Jesus Christ as their Savior, as their Messiah. But if they don't accept Jesus Christ as their Savior, as their Messiah, they will not get all the benefits God intended them to be. They will not experience those benefits. You have to be a child of God. And that's through faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. When Paul says that all Israel will be saved again, he means all believing Israel. Unbelieving Jews will be condemned at the second coming of Jesus Christ. Let me show you some important scripture on this. Hold your place again. Go with me to Zechariah, okay? Now, you probably don't regularly read in Zechariah. Zechariah is right before the last book in the Old Testament, Malachi, which is right before Matthew. So if you get to Matthew, go Malachi, then Zechariah. Go with me to Zechariah chapter 12. Again, hundreds of years before Jesus ever came, this was penned. Look at the language here, friends. You know, people say, well, I don't believe Jesus Christ is God. The Jewish people will say, well, I don't believe Jesus Christ is the Messiah. Okay, friend, how do you reconcile what you don't believe with what the scriptures say on this? Look with me to Zechariah 12, verse nine. And it shall come to pass in that day that I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. That's during a seven-year tribulation period. And this is towards the end of that period. And it says, And I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplication. Watch this. This is God speaking. This is Jehovah speaking. And they shall look upon me whom they have pierced. (laughs) When was Jehovah pierced? You know exactly. You know, the very fact I just read it, you're thinking in your head, well, that refers to the crucifixion. Yes, that's exactly what it refers to. They shall look upon me whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son, and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. All right, now let's go back to Romans chapter 11. 
So there are Jews that when Jesus comes at the second coming, at the end of the tribulation, to defeat the armies of the world that have come against Jerusalem and to defeat the Antichrist and the false prophet, when he comes and he appears, there are Jews who are going to see him and they're going to put their faith in him as Messiah. And they will be saved when they do that. Romans eleven twenty eight. As concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. Okay, at this point. Why? Because when Paul wrote this, the Jews generally had rejected Jesus Christ as their Messiah. They are enemies for your sakes. But as touching or concerning the election, God's plan for them, they are beloved for the Father's sake. For the gifts and the calling of God are without repentance. Okay? In other words, it's referring to the plan of God that he has for the Jewish people. They are his chosen people. He is not through with them. He still has a plan. That is what he called them to. And he is offering eternal life to anyone who will trust in Jesus Christ as their Savior for the Jewish people, as their Savior, as their Messiah. And you notice he says the gifts and the callings of God are without repentance. Now, this is an interesting word translated repentance here. Okay, number one, it's very clear that it's not talking about turning from sin. The gifts and the callings of God are without turning from sin. Sorrow for sin makes no sense whatsoever. Makes no sense. No, this is an interesting word. This Greek word, uh, ametamelitas, It's hard to say. Ametamelitas, okay? It is used two times in the New Testament and it means irrevocable, irrevocable. In other words, God will not take back what he has given, what he has declared. The gifts and the callings of God are irrevocable. Once he gives them, he doesn't take them back. It is only used twice in the New Testament. God will not go back on his plan for his chosen people, the Jews, Now let's look at verse 30. It says, For as ye in times past have not believed God, yet have now obtained mercy through their unbelief. In other words, Gentiles had not trusted in Christ as their Savior in times past. Now remember when Paul was writing this, okay, he's talking about before the church age, but when the Jews rejected Jesus Christ as their Messiah, God opened up this thing called the church, which is primarily Gentiles, you notice, yet now have obtained mercy through their unbelief because the Jews rejected Christ the Savior, God now manifested the church and he opened up the gospel in an incredible way to the Gentile world. Even so have these also now not believed that through your mercy, they also may obtain mercy. In other words, through the mercy God showed the Gentile people that would provoke the Jewish people to jealousy. They would seek the Lord and they too then, as they sought the Lord and put their faith in Christ as their Messiah, they would receive mercy as well. It's a marvelous plan. Verse 32, for God hath concluded them all in unbelief, all people, that he might have mercy upon all. Okay? Gentiles, they begin in unbelief. A Gentile has to come to the point where they understand they can't save themselves. They understand they're lost, they're condemned, and they understand they need somebody outside of themselves to provide eternal life for them. And when you trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior, God gives you that eternal life. 
all in unbelief, Jew and Gentile. Jewish people, how did the Jewish people become the children of God? They're not children of God simply by their heritage. No, you must also, friend, if you're a Jewish person, you must also trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior, as your Messiah. And God, too, will be merciful to you. So God is being merciful to the Gentiles because they need mercy because we're all lost. And God is being merciful to the Jew. This is the marvelous plan of God. Let me explain this one more time. Understand the predicament we are in as human beings, whether Jew or Gentile. If this hand represents you and me and my wallet represents all of our sin, all of us are sinners, Jew and Gentile alike. God loves us all, Jew and Gentile alike. He hates our sin, but he loves us. For us to get to heaven, we have to be sinless, and none of us are, we're sinners. And God says our sin must be paid for. And if we pay for our sin, we'll be lost forever in hell. God doesn't want that for us. No good works will take away sin because you have to be perfect and no one is. Sin has to be paid for. So then what are we going to do? In ourselves, there's nothing we can do. That is why God sent the Lord Jesus Christ. This hand representing him, sinless. And when Jesus came into the world, he went to the cross And he took all of our sin upon himself and he made the complete payment for our sin. Paid it all. There's no sin left to be paid for. He died, was buried, and rose from the grave. And he says this, if you will trust in him that he made that payment for you, the moment you do, it is good on your behalf and God gives you everlasting life as a gift. We love the scriptures, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 have it over here. It says, for by grace are ye saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You talk to most Jewish people today, they believe that if there is a heaven and if you're going to go there, you're going to go there because you do good works, because you're a good human being and so forth and so on. Talk to most Gentiles, they believe the same thing, but the Bible says, no, it's not of works. Your sin has to be gone. You can pile up all the good works you want. That won't take it away. Only Jesus can take it away. And when you trust in him, he'll give you everlasting life. Friend, have you trusted Jesus Christ as your savior? If you have, you have everlasting life. No matter what takes place in this life, you're still a child of God. You can't lose it. You're secure. And when you die or get raptured, you will immediately go into the presence of God for all eternity. How wonderful that is. We're all in unbelief. We come into the world. We're all in unbelief. But God offers mercy to all. I urge you today, put your faith in Christ as your Savior. Well, friends, that concludes this edition of Voice of Assurance. Thanks so much for listening. And would you share this ministry with a friend? To contact us or learn more about our ministry, please visit www.northlandchurch.com. Your prayers and support for this ministry are greatly appreciated. Thank you so much, and God bless you.